Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. have part two of a feature recorded at Sebring in 2019. Part one is looking back at Peugeot's amazing 908 HDI FAP turbo diesel V12 LMP1 program. Sat down with our friend Sebastian Bourdais, Pedro Lamy, uh, who else did we have? Uh, Anthony Davidson. I feel like I'm forgetting someone else, but uh, that that's totally on me. Um, had a fun conversation, a lot of laughs, a lot of crazy insights. Also, we we're meant to have factory Peugeot driver of that era, Simon Pagano, joining us. And he didn't. So we went ahead and recorded and figured that was going to be it. And then Simon, I don't remember if it was later that day or the next, what it was, but he was like, hey, um, sorry, but I still want to do this. I think I kind of said, oh, that's great, but we already kind of did it. And he was like, no, I really want to do this. So we accommodated our man, Simon Pagano, uh, Bourdais joined in as well. And so this is a part two. And again, there was never really meant to be uh, more than one part, but we do have a part two. There are some fun stories here. Uh, what we have bone breaking training, fun and mischief, uh, including one of their teammates. Uh, I think the, the epic testing crash of all crashes. There's just some fun yarns here. So with Peugeot back in top tier prototype racing, uh, again, uh, probably should have run this a little bit sooner, but heading back to Sebring, be posting this while i'm at sebring for super sebring the uh the big hypercar class in the wc imsa and its new gtp cars and all kinds of fun so hopefully uh enjoy this with our two frenchmen and i will also do my best to include a link uh in the episode information here for you to go and listen to part one which was a whole lot of fun and just celebrate this amazing time with the, wow, were they mercurial Peugeot 908 V12 turbo diesel monsters that just made Le Mans such a truly an amazing thing to witness firsthand. Was so fortunate to see their debut at Le Mans and cover that in 2007 through the end of the program following, yeah, just a few years later. But let's get going with our fellows here, Sebastian Bourdais, Simon Pagano, talking about Peugeot's fine, fun, crazy, and somewhat physically destructive days in the LMP1 class. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. We are part two of our Peugeot 908 memories, walk down all kinds of fascinating avenues. This so time, well, there, there was a part one then? Oh, there was a part one. Well, which is only kind of normal and fair, right? Because Simon arrived mid-adventure anyway, so we kind of... See, we did all the, all the you know, know, first I like, like seven, eight, nine, and then That's Simon the comes on board. That's attitude there, right there. It was good though, right? Only Pedro got worse when he, when he arrived. <laughs> True. Oh boy, the program shut down not too long after. Yeah, well, yeah it seems. Only lasted two years. Actually, happened a lot in my career. <laughs> kind of situations. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you're pretty safe at Penske then, I yes. guess. 
Yes. If he manages to shut down Penske, something really wow. big bad happened. Simon, the team yeah, well, killer, Pagano. For that not to happen. Wow, if we're going to get you to NASCAR, that'll help IndyCar, see? <laughs> so team by team, you're going to shut it down over there. So, Seb, I don't know. I don't know if we should continue from where we were or just start fresh with some of the some of the stuff. I mean, Simon, you sent some great notes here. We used some of them. The team building at Chamonix we started off with, and it sounded like it was more of sounded like, like impact. It sounded like Survivor. It sounded less like team building. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. I said it right. He just buffed out. Like what he happened? remembers exactly what happened. Well, uh, first for the listeners. Uh, Chamonix was was awesome because it was a team building before Le Mans, um, and we had a great a team destruction. Destroying. It was more of a team destruction than a, a, a team building, but it was a good destruction in a good way. You know, I always take positive out of it. We had a great time. Let me tell you, it was fun. <laughs> okay, well, but we're uh, here to do more than just say it was fun. Yeah, um, well, you know, I still have a, a job and. You know, I've got to be careful what I say, but... Uh, but it's okay, it's all, it's all been said anyways. It's so. all been said, so I'm yes. good. Are any of the scars on your body as a result of Chamonix? Because it sounds not like... Mine. Not mine. Not my body, no. Yeah. Not, not my body. No, uh, was it John Carlos? Yeah, John Carlos hit, hit that beam. Like, yeah, beam, yeah. Head on, straight. Yes, so we were in the mountain. So Chamonix was basically... Uh, Chamonix uh, is a big mountain, Mont Blanc. Do you know where it is? I've heard of, yes. Okay, good, good, good. That's good news. And <laughs> we uh, we just uh, went there for team building. So we we're going to do cycling. We we're going to do uh, walking up the mountain and down. It's not a small mountain. Uh, and anyways, when we got there, we got halfway through the mountain. Then you have to sleep there because you can't go back down. So we slept in the mountain. And of course, you know, we're French. We have dinner. We have a little bit of wine, a little too much wine. And, and then... Then it's the and fun stuff. Genepi. Then Genepi. <laughs> and it sounds like this is made from gasoline. Yes. Flowers. It's rocket fuel. It's green. Okay. It's green, which is made of flowers. So that's you know it's good. But Jean Carl Vernet, uh, he was uh, the reserve driver at the time. He um, hit a beam. Luckily, he was wearing a helmet because we were. Oh, true. He I was, forgot that part. Oh, yeah. That so they had, the, you know, they had the, the, the high altitude uh, mountaineers, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like the kind of rounded helmet with the, the fake, you know, kind of structure and things spaced out of your head. And yeah, that that was not completely his head that hit that beam. No, he, but it, that thankfully, because otherwise he would have knocked himself out. But he went down the stairs. Out. He went down the stairs. On his ass, yes. Pretty big. And our friend Frank Montagne was also a big part of it. Big part of it. Uh, no, Frank's bigger part was in the morning when you got woken up <laughs> yes. a little freshly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Well, I wasn't part of that. Uh, was I? Yeah, yes, I don't have were. much memory of the morning. See? Oh, you did have a good <laughs> you time. Yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, you I woke re- up. You woke me up with the water, right? I remember being uh, soaked. Ma- ma- maybe, maybe a little bit, but but you just took the bucket and like started just pouring <laughs> it I? on Frank, and like he started choking on it, like it was just like was torture. You. No, no, it wasn't me. I was hundred percent. My memory, may- I can't recalls remember if it was, it was Nico or may- might have been Nico. It <laughs> might have been Nico. <laughs> you that should, just you should see Seb's face when he does an impression of Frank when he wakes up in the morning. That morning, like being dumped water, fresh water on his face, ice water. I mean, it was. It, it, yeah, it looked like he looked like it was a fish on like above water. It was incredible. <laughs> that was a good time. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can get paid to almost kill your teammates and not 
you know, go to jail, I guess. That that sounds like a great time. But That's why we were secluded in a mountain. Yeah. So we couldn't go to jail. But, you know, in those moments, I think, you know, it's, it's obviously we're talking about fun. But I, I, you know, we said team destruction. But actually, I thought that was probably... Well, just because someone got hurt, but... <laughs> one. Someone. Well, twice. yes. Frank hit it, hurt his ankles, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I mean, he broke, he broke his uh, fever. Didn't Davis oh, he did? He oh, yeah, yeah, football. And he, yeah. And he, and he drove like that. And then the year before, Pedro broke his Achilles tendon. And then it was just like every year, we were yeah. just like... And you know, that's a shame. Yeah, because we had a great time. Yeah, well, and unfortunately, we lost Karin Ruby, who was a, a really great snowboarder as well, and she was the sister of one of the guide. Mm. And unfortunately, one year I can't remember which year it was. I think it might have been that year when we went up the mountain, but she she got caught on the ice, um, the sea of ice, mm. that what's they called, and then she just it just opened up under her, and like the whole line of guys just went down yeah and on that note you know we're talking about sad stuff we up we're up on the top of the mountain at that point no we're not in the the snow we're we're on the intermediate part at three thousand almost four thousand meters at the end of it when it was another day but you know i'm gonna rebound on what he just said which obviously is sad but seb has no fear of altitude absolutely no fear and he thinks it's okay to have no fear but let me tell you, when you're in a mountain, in the snow, with those uh, studied shoes, mm-hmm. and then you're linked to the teammates by a rope, and one of the guys, no fear of attitude, and you do, <laughs> yes, it is not a fun day. You're walking up close to the edge. It's okay, you're not going to die alone. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't ready to die that day. <laughs> me neither. Team building! <laughs> it was team building. Yeah, Simon actually. didn't have a good time no, that day. No, I, I kind of had, just, I had a uh, meltdown, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, before we get into some of the awesome... But we pushed through as a team and made it to the refuge. Okay. It was well, pretty good. I think you, you heard a little bit about the refuges. Right? No, that was another one. A different one? one? Yeah. On, on the other side of the mountain. When you passed out, you remember that? Yeah, he was a little lightheaded. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go down. <laughs> You came into this program, as, as we mentioned the outset, uh, a little bit later into it. You also, what, was your first year at Le Mans, at least, in the PlayStation-sponsored car? Uh, my first year was was with uh, Orica yep. in 2008 in the... Um you know, multicolor, multicolor Beautiful. Car. Yeah, and then what? That the first pit stop, I believe, things went a little sideways. No. Um, so I was with Panis and Marcel Fassler, yeah. actually, and Marcel um, lost. I, we don't know what happened. He lost it and um, hit the gearbox in the wall in the Porsche curve, so we we couldn't continue. At night, it was just before I got in the car. I think it was around two in the morning. Yeah. But there was a. I just recall a good momentum going for you career-wise where obviously you had had your time in Champ Car, moved into the ALMS, had success there. Also, the Peugeot program is just growing and increasing, and career-wise, it seemed like you were on an arc to where it wasn't a surprise that inevitably you were welcomed into the program. How did that come about? Well, I'm sure this guy over here probably said some good words. <laughs> it yeah, probably I helped. Mean, it it kind of um, came... Like Serge was basically, you know, looking out for a couple more drivers, and and then Simon was obviously starting to make a name for himself in the LMS, like you said, and and you know, I mean, I was I was trying to help Simon back from pretty much the 06 days onwards to, you know, just kind of get a shot, and uh, and when when obviously Serge asked me what I thought of Simon, well, I was like, yeah, 
be awesome in the program and and then simon you know just made the the rest happen but uh yeah no it was it was pretty cool we have a lot of stuff that is not serious to talk about here but let's stay on this for a That's moment what I'm worried about what did it mean for you right i mean i just again son of france driving for the national team the home team i assume that really meant something well i must say that um it was a little hard for me to realize what was going on and i realize it more now uh the chance and the opportunity that it was uh like you said driving for a french team in le mans but it's funny it's you know when you really focus on the job sometimes you tend to forget a little bit about the importance of it all um but what was really cool is to teammate with seb you know obviously I looked up to Seb when I grew up racing and he helped me to come to the US. He was I mean he still is the star, you know, that won so many races in Chemka. Being able to teammate together, he's a star in Le Mans. I mean that's he's over there, he's the king. So um so it's pretty cool to be part of it with him with him in his car and um and we had a lot of success. But um but the cool thing is for me personally was just to experiment everything that we experimented with that team uh, the details that they went into the testing the amount of running we did uh, getting to drive a diesel car um, honestly is for a driver is pretty cool because it's nothing like it well that uh, uh, let's park there for a sec so that was some of the most fun stuff to hear when we sat down with the, the first group this crazy 3000 rpm rev band with a trillion foot pounds of torque Again, you've driven champ cars, you know, you've been in very fast machines before you got to the Peugeot program, but what was the sensation like? Well, I remember, you know, it was very lucky for me that I drove champ car before because I was used to the speed. When I stepped in the Peugeot, my first test, I remember like yesterday, <clears throat> I did um, safety. Do you remember Serge was, was driving it? the safety car in the Castellet and he said, Simon, you're just going to be behind me and we're going to do safety car run. And then after that, you're going to go. And they told me, you got to keep the revs at 1,500 RPM. I'm like, 1,500 RPM in a race car? Are you serious? And it, it felt like a tractor, you know. Uh, it sounded like it. Rattling like a tractor. Um, and when I took off, man, my body, my entire body sank into the seat on acceleration, which is very unusual uh, in racing to feel that. Um, I'm sure it's Formula 1, it's probably even worse. But um, I remember... You know, the acceleration, um, the torque of that car was just like nothing else. It was incredible. So I was very lucky I drove Champ Car before because it got me used to the speed. So looking at this opportunity that you have, the list of like 20 items of just pure fun and madness, I don't even know where to start. Uh, yeah. I didn't know you were going to share this with everybody. I thought you were going to just oh, we come out with it. Well, you did. I mean, I, I have rattled them I have, off, but I know I have that you more made memories. Some of the, but the, uh, I think the first couple we we got to. I'm trying to think where we might not have uh, where we <clears> might have left off. Oh, we didn't know the uh, the Frank's bag story in China. So that's actually you didn't where know we that story. Should, no, so that's actually oh, where we man. need to start because so yeah, Frank is one of a kind. He's oh. like somebody like I've never met, but. We came back from, I think, Silverstone. I'm not sure where we came before China. Do you remember the race before that? It, there that was, was a few. There was a few before. I know. We went that. testing. That's what it was. Yeah. We went testing just before China. We come back from taste testing in. It must have been in Aragon, in Spain. Probably because at that point we were towards like Port Ricard or Aragon. Yeah, and then we flew back to Paris 
landed at CDG with Frank, and I thought you were there. No. Um, and I'm waiting for my bag, and I see Frank walk back, walk, walk, walk out. And I'm like, Frank, your bag. He says, don't worry about it. We're leaving tomorrow for China. You should probably get your bag. He said, don't worry about it. It's the weekend. I'm like, what do you mean it's the weekend? Yeah, he says, when the conveyor stops and you're not here, they pull your bag out and they leave it at, at, the, <laughs> at the Air France desk. And you just come back and pick it up the next day and you take it on to the, the next flight. I'm, I've got, I took my scooter so I can't take my bag back. <laughs> I'm like, but don't you have your helmet in your bag and your race suit? And your sh- yeah, 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 I pick it up tomorrow. He's like, just using this as personal... And he left. He left, but he needed his helmet and everything for the race. I mean, we're leaving the next day. And I'm like, oh, worried about all that logistic for myself. And he's like, <laughs> no, I'm just going to go home. I'm cool. No problem. Well, he didn't show up in China the next day. <laughs> he wasn't there. Uh, then he showed up a day later and was still waiting for his bag. Uh, yeah, so that was funny. But, you know, he invented another story, which, yeah. was, which was fine. But I didn't tell anyone about the story, but yeah. I can only imagine what some of those things smelled like, too. I mean... That's any- Frank, though. That's Frank. Wow. <laughs> Stuff you can't make. You can't, you can't yeah. make it up. Like, it's just like... There are endless stories. Endless stories. Plenty of other stories I didn't... So right down. he's not necessarily frank level of questionable mental faculties, but you need to spend more time speaking with your uh, your co-team owner, Jimmy Vassar. Vassar, there is a lot of Vassar stories about that in the 80s, early 90s. Um, I still need to get him on the podcast to tell his Bowling for Destruction story. Have you ever heard that one? I'll mention I've it heard here. about Baja, but I haven't no, heard No, no, I'll it. mention it briefly here, and we'll get him to tell it properly once. It was him and uh, old IndyCar driver Mark Smith. Mark Smith's family was in aviation. This was in, I believe, Portland, downtown Portland. The Smith family, and sorry, I know this is a Peugeot podcast, but hey, whatever. Um, Smith's family, very wealthy, very connected in the local area. And so he and Vassar uh, are riding down, I guess, the main strip uh, in one street in Portland. And I think Mark had a convertible Corvette and pulled over and said, all right, hold on. Ran inside to a bowling alley, ran back out with as many bowling balls as he could carry. (laughs) That sounds like a terrible idea. And then decided to either go down the end of the street and start coming back, but as a young wealthy kid whose father is very rich and connected they decided to he sped up in the corvette with the bowling balls with cars parked all down the street and what? hang your hand out the side and no bowling for destruction oh Ooh. yeah yeah then wow the, then there was a story of a briefcase that was brought i don't know if it was vassar or one of his driver buddies with a lot of objects in it that you could only buy at a sex shop <laughs> that would be brought to everybody. So anyways. Uh, yeah, that's good story. Your that, Vassar, your that, va- that fits. Yeah. There might be a Vassar Montani podcast that we need to oh, do here oh. very soon. So tell That'd me about a, a chase for a massage office in China. That scares me as a note. Yeah, that Frank really was involved me. again. Did oh you go, Seb? God. 
Just say no. You're married. Yeah, children. you're married. I, no. I, I remember going to one of the places by the hotel, but it wasn't like it wasn't anything crazy. special. Well, you yeah. don't remember that? Um, so we we had two massages. The <laughs> I had one, so I wasn't part of the second <laughs> the one. First, I guess the first time we were looking for a massage place, and we 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 couldn't talk to people like they couldn't understand us we couldn't yeah, that's the very annoying part oh, yeah. in china like at least when we were there like the the nodding were like yeah yes 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 yeah. and they have no, no idea, idea what, what you're, you're saying. talking about that that really particularly makes things very complicated and we we basically was stefan uh nico uh, i remember vividly all three of us but yeah i'm not gonna mention any more names and then uh, we went to uh this really weird house it wasn't far from the hotel but it was a massage don't worry there was nothing else just i uh, just want to be clear here it was a normal massage it was just a really weird place uh -huh. okay uh -huh. and the next day we talked to frank about it and then frank said oh yeah i found this really cool place we we need to go to tonight again and then we went to a really 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 nice place that somehow he knew about and it was like a luxury spa super nice massage with pool and everything that was you went to that one that's the one you went to yeah yeah so. that was nice yeah no no there was nothing else involved in okay just we're just pure go massage that one. it was just very weird i just i'm speaking this isn't weird it's maybe sad you, you were telling me the story a couple days ago about testing and a cat oh my god and knowing how much oh, I yes. love cats I wish I'd taken a picture cats. I wish I'd taken a picture so it it's made so bad me, but we need to hear it, it so, so alright no wait, well but the thing starts it starts a couple of hours early and it involves Frank again <laughs> so, go figure go so, figure so Frank just you know because it was like 48 hour simulations right so I mean you, it'd go days on end and so it all started like First time or second time we were going to Aragon doing some endurance durability test. And Frank had never been to Aragon. <laughs> like, didn't know if you, the shape of the track, if you were supposed to exit the pits left or go right, if the corner was close to pit exit or if it was <laughs> a long straight. I had no clue, no whatsoever. And guess what? He shows up at night. So no chance. He goes straight to the hotel, comes b to the track, I'd say 4 a.m. Like, that's his shift, like 5 to whatever. So he's going to start having no clue what that thing looks like <laughs> at night. And let me tell you, at that point, Aragon, that was, I think it was still the first time we went because it was a bit black. And at that time, Aragon at night? No lights. At night. There was not a no single light. There was no construction around. So there was the moon at best. And guess what? There was no moon oh, that day. No. So it, it was the light of the car, which were not very good. <laughs> and and nothing else. Actually, that's the only car time I ever felt sick in a race car. Because we're running at some point a very soft tire, and the car was rolling and moving and a lot, and like you, you could, oh. you could see the light of the car going like, oh you know, God. this Way like a boat. And I, I remember like feeling sick to my stomach, yeah. and I was like, that, that's never happened to me ever. <laughs> but so basically, Frank shows up, gets in the car, and and we all giggling, laughing our butts off because we're like, he's gonna be lost. Like, even when you knew the track, it was that hard. And, and 
So he leaves the pit, makes it out, and then because there's not a soul around and not a sound and not a light, <laughs> all you hear is the engine of the car. And so you can know where he's at. And so he's crawling around trying to find his way. And he goes, and then he gets I'm on the back up. straight with, with like a flat out triple left thing going on and a long ass straight downhill. And it's like, you hear going up the gears, and then he breaks, and then he goes, and it's like, it took him almost to go like a solid 20 minutes to get like five seconds off the pace, because it was just ridiculously hard. And, and sure enough, that same day, I think it was that same day, on another stint, he's in the car, and he hits a cat just before the day breaks. And clearly the cat was running in the cars, with, with the cars, you know, going the same direction. And, you know, we were going like 3.30 down the hill there at Aragon. And he hits that thing straight in the headlight. And that poor cat just breaches the panel of the headlight, which are recessed, you know, in, yeah. in the globe. And obviously the poor thing just like blows up, right? So <laughs> at least half of it goes uh, in Marshall, the wheel well. a cat guy. It's, uh, it's in okay. in it's the radiator right and cooks itself in the radiator. One of the nine radiators that that oh thing had. And, and so Frank comes back and he says, like, I hit something. I don't know what it is, but I hit something. The car was fine. I mean, it just had that one light off. But he, he, he pulls in the pits and gets in the garage and honest to God, you you can you cannot again make that stuff up. The cat's head is literally <laughs> just on the edge of the headlight looking of the bodywork, looking at you, eyes shut, tongue sticking out, and both paws on the side of his head, and the rest and probably hanging off by the skin of whatever, and just like hanging in there like this. Oh my god! And and Sorry, the Marshall. smell of the inside. The smell was on what the, I. Like everybody just like ran away from the garage. The was oh, the it was just bad. atrocious. Please tell me you made Frank clean it up. No, oh, no, no. I think everybody no. just peeled. It was like <laughs> somebody just like pinched his nose, grabbed the stuff, hosed it down, and we lit the car on fire and yeah. just left. Uh, it. We had to keep running. That's yeah, the thing. That's the thing. Somebody had to clean the stuff. We had to keep running. But like that picture, Frank might still have it. But I mean, it was uh, the most priceless thing that you could, like. Ah, he was in all the good stuff, yeah. Frank. You mentioned something, Simon, about uh, you almost dying while eating in China, and Seb saved you? Yeah, Seb, Seb saved my life. Uh, that's when we discovered I had some issues with uh, rice. <laughs> Sticky rice. Sticky rice. Sticky rice. Sticks. Rice? Oh, man. Dude, um... We're eating, nobody can understand what we want. <laughs> I ended up having whatever it was for dinner. Duck ears. Yeah, it was probably some kind of duck with rice and it was really dry. And start eating that thing, I didn't chew enough. Well, sure enough, it gets stuck in my esophagus. Gets stuck in there, man. <laughs> And I'm looking at him, and he's turning. It's not the first time it happened, so I knew how to deal with it, right? I was like, okay, just calm down. You know, you can still breathe, but if you panic, you can't breathe. So I got this, but then, you know, they were looking at me like, what's going on? (laughs) 
<laughs> like Simon's like changing color. Like yeah. he's he's starting. He's not blue yet, but it's coming. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I, I can't, I can't talk because I'm like focused on this thing, trying to get it through. And Seb gets up from his table, from the table, and start, um, start, you know, hitting him in the back, or whatever, <laughs> and it went through. Uh, but it was a bit of a struggle. I mean, it didn't happen that quickly. And uh, it was it was a solid minute or something. Yeah, like, we had actually. Yeah, I had you, time. You were waiting. Your wait was getting good. I was like, I had time to pull. We, we looked at each other. He was across the table from me, and, and I'm I like, can't talk. Remember? Dude, so I look at it. What him. are you doing on me like right now? Because we're in China. <laughs> like we can't even order food. Like you imagine trying to explain someone like you know, okay, the guy's gonna drop dead because he's got freaking rice stuck in his esophagus. You know, like I'm not gonna put that together. Oh, you know, man. so yeah, it was uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, I ended up having it uh, enlarged afterwards. Yeah, my esophagus. That's a procedure it's, you can do. Yeah, like you, it's simple. You just uh, just pump it it's up. A, it's a balloon. Yeah, they pump up a balloon inside your esophagus to make it bigger. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they didn't Mine do was that like, when he was awake, though. No. No, I wasn't awake. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, mine's like 50% smaller than most. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thanks, Seb. Saved my life. Tell me about a, a, a tough or, I guess, atrocious bike ride at Le Mans. Ah, oh, it was awesome. Or, oh, I, I don't understand. Like, those guys just... I mean... Tell us about this. I mean, you know, the roads in France aren't that great. You know, it's bumpy. And well, the country roads, yeah. we're going to go race for 24 hours in Le Mans, which is the most atrocious race in the world, right? No, but you know what's smart is just to ride for seven hours of biking a few days before the race. Yeah, to show up in Le Mans as a team on a bicycle. Was How smart was that? Everybody came into scrutineering on bikes? Yes. Yeah, we came from Chartres. You have no idea. Which is a hundred and some kilometers oh, away. I thought. I thought. It was you more guys than a hundred kilometers. It was like a hundred and twenty or something. Well, it felt like three hundred eighty. No I thought you guys were just riding from like the track. Oh no! It was a nice no, no, no. We're supposed. We oh, were no. supposed to actually come oh, yeah. from Vélizy. The, the I whole you guys idea. Coming in, and there's oh, some of you yeah. had that look like, what the hell? Yeah. yeah the yeah, whole yeah. idea was, was to actually come from the shop, Vélizy, west of Paris, and and ride down, stop for you know the night and then finish and then it didn't turn that way and then we we left from Chartres and did just one stage but uh, yeah there were a couple of bike enthusiasts and uh, and yeah we just we thought it was cool but there were some guys that were not too happy about it no not happy at all man <laughs> I mean I, I mean, couldn't feel my legs my legs were, were like concrete asses, but you know yeah, I was gonna oh. say because you want a sore ass when you're gonna do a 24 hour race yeah no legs to break you know Oh, no, that was not fun. Not fun. And the weather was bad. I mean, it was just oh, one of those days you hate. And it was before I started getting fit, too. So I was not fit at the time. I still wouldn't want to do it, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they know? tried to jump you into it, apparently. What about tire testing at Actually, Monza? Frank gave Frank bailed on that one, didn't well, he? Frank couldn't with his ankles. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, forget it. I mean, he, 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 he did the start and then he did he the did end, like but ten there was no way. Frank couldn't work no. out. He couldn't run. He couldn't. Yeah. No, but it's just funny to see the repetition of things with Frank in the stories. Oh. Yeah, it was always a, a part. He would always bail Clearly, some his point. value wasn't necessarily tied to the cockpit. Clearly, there was some added value. No comment. He, he was, you know, the team mascot, uh, the team drunk, the team everything. Yeah. <laughs> he no was com- never alone, though. No comment. Oh, no, no, he wasn't comment. alone. 
what about uh, tire testing at Monza, Simon? Yeah, that, that was, stood out to you. That's, I don't know for you, Seb, but for me, you weren't there. For me, it's one of the best memory because um, you know you just go through new tires, new tires, and then what was really interesting is the car. You know, I don't remember ch us changing springs on the car ever, or very rarely, yeah. very rarely, or damping change, or even alignment. Never did any of that stuff. We would show up, and we would have a tire that was designed for the car, or yeah, that would basically make the car work really well. And so we would do laps and laps, days of testing at Monza. Um, we would take away the chicane, the first chicane. What were you hitting at the end? Uh, well, we were 350. <laughs> yeah, it was 350. <laughs> and then, yeah, you just turn in. Well, it's okay. New tires. I don't know if they're gonna hold on but um yeah so it's just for me it's obviously monza is you know in europe is uh it's a bit like indianapolis yeah, for us absolutely. here you know it's uh it's a, it's a tempo of speed and um you know driving that car th those speed was phenomenal but going the biggest thing i remember is just going through tires with mission and tires 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 non-stop and every time you had a tire the car behaved differently and it was a shock to me that i realized then how important the tire is on the race car, right? And uh, that you could have uh, that. Choosing the tire was so important for Le Mans, and, and the car was designed for Le Mans. I mean, it was it was not about Sebring. It wasn't about sure. any other races. It was about Le Mans and, and finding the right tire for yeah, that track. Except that last car, though. I mean, the, the second the version of the 908. Version. Unfortunately, when it was a Le Mans car. But when I talk about the 908, yeah, I talk about the, the 2010 version. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say everybody wasn't too keen on talking about the V8. Car. Actually, it's funny. Were you were you at Monza when we did the back-to-back -back 2010 version against 2011? Mm -mm. You weren't there. Man, I was. Yeah. Man, the 2010 was just perfect car. I mean, that was just phenomenal. So I asked them about this. What was the 2011 car lacking? What did it need? What didn't it do? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just the concept was like we talked about. Like it, it was meant to be running very high COP and very yeah. low rear wing because of the high COP. And unfortunately, the concept didn't work. Like it, the wide front tire, you know, very forward weight distribution and everything could only get you that far on the weight on the COP. And when you had to crank the <laughs> rear wing in it then it was fine on the slower speed tracks but on, on at Le Mans it was it was not working no what was super interesting for me is I went through that with Acura and the uh, LMP1 with the, the big front tires the I went through the same process with them earlier you know on the data on, on the paper it looks like it's got less drag because the front end is bigger um, and that's how you get less drag uh, it looks like you can run a lot of front COP which means the car is going to turn really well in a high speed but and then you can run the softer rear spring which means you're going to have good traction but that's all Theoretical. Yeah, on, on simulator, <laughs> it's it was great. awesome. Like the simulator nev never shits itself. Best like it's just like ever. Yes. yes. But then it had less traction than uh, the 2010 version, despite having less power. The suspension work was not as good. Um, it was difficult. It was very pointy to drive, and you couldn't hit the brake pedal because you were locking the rear tires early on. Um, so we struggled at the beginning to understand how to make it work, uh, despite that design. Uh, but uh, ended up being a lot better at the end of 11. Um, 
Yeah, I mean the car was great. Was, that like Silverstone yeah. and like we we won Silverstone together. We won Zuhai. We we won Imola with Anthony, and yeah. it was just the car was really good, but not efficient enough at Le Mans. And and the V8 diesel was you know a lot a lot more vibration than the V12. The V12 was so torquey and so smooth that it was very enjoyable to drive. You mentioned a drive on the Italian highway, I believe, to the airport. <laughs> Frank Is again. Is this another Frank yeah. story? Jesus. Yeah, Frank again. I'm going to owe him royalties for I, this You have to have Frank on the podcast, I think, because, oh. I mean, he's got so many stories. But, uh, well, it was after Monza, so I thought Seb was there, but he wasn't again. <laughs> uh, but he stole the fun, it looks like. Well, Apparently. I just think he, he needs to hide some of this stuff, you know. it's He's a daddy, so. But, um, yeah, we finished the testing in Monza, uh, tire testing, and uh, we got to get on the flight, next flight, you know, uh, to go home. And um, Frank does not miss a flight. He can not have his bag, but he won't miss a flight. <laughs> and uh, the highway was, I mean, I've never seen this much traffic in my life. From Monza to the airport, it was just, there was no moving. So <laughs> we have two rental cars, just like in Days of Tender. And uh, we see two cops go by on the emergency lane with the lights on so then we pulled behind them and went all the way to the airport that way and I called him on the phone I'm like man are we gonna get pulled over what, what, what's are you crazy what are we doing <laughs> he says dude as long as they keep going and we're behind <laughs> them they're not gonna stop they can't stop there's no room to stop it's an emergency lane so he says they can't stop yeah, the so they won't put us off. Well, they could have stopped and you were stuck because <laughs> yeah. there was nowhere to go. <laughs> well, but that was one of Frank's, um, you know. That was his concept. Yeah, concept, exactly. And we got to the airport plenty of time, time for dinner and everything. It was great. He's a madman. I love this. Yeah, that was a good memory too. Well, I, know, I know a few others that have done that. I won't, <laughs> I won't name anybody, but <laughs> might have involved a LARP competition and... <laughs> <laughs> Some crazy team owner. <laughs> you mentioned Simon having a fondness for doing traction control development with Bosch. Yeah. That seems like an interesting thing. Yeah, I, I remember we were having a day um, with Bosch, and uh, Alex Wirtz was actually the one really working closely with them. Uh, I love Alex. Yeah, because, you know, he had a very. I guess he, his terminology was really easy for everybody to understand. He was very good at finding the right words for, for that good feedback. And he had so much experience with F1 at the time with traction control too. Um, and we did a day of running in the wet, in the Casterly, and running in the dry. And, and Alex was just using one car to do traction control with Bosch. And, um, and that traction control worked really well. Uh, and again, I'm talking about that was 2010, I believe. 2009. It took a while because traction control yeah. on a diesel is it's complicated. Something else. So you have pre-control, <laughs> yeah. and then you have a normal TC on top Force of it. Control, and yeah. It was just it was so complicated because there's a lag when you know the the way the engine responds to the fuel you inject, and the power is completely a direct correlation of how much fuel you inject. So it was just. Yeah, it was really tricky, but it yeah, really I tricky. didn't do much of the work, but Simon definitely. Yeah, no, it was, it, was, it, it was, was fun. It was fun. We had a lot of adjustments. We, you know, and just listening to what Alex was saying, I learned, I mean, obviously with all these guys, they, they all went to F1. Um, you know, I was probably the only one that never had a chance to 
go to F1 or try an F1. And for me, at my, I was at a young age too, so I learned so much <clears throat> just listening and being in touch with them and trying to understand. It was really cool. Um, and Bosch, Bosch did a great job. That was a great partnership for, for the team. Yeah, it was very expensive, but yeah. Yeah, you mentioned like, the <laughs> like, huge budget saving going to the V8 engine. Yeah. It was like three, four million dollars, four million euros cost saving going from the V12 to the V8 just because of the number of injectors that they bought, which was like 10,000 euros a piece. So, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not into those kind of numbers because I don't want to know when I crash the car. <laughs> Well, I know a good story. It's like, like, and they only talked about it like pretty far down the road. But um, you know, the pressure that we're in the injection six system was absolutely bonkers. And actually, the the, the power gain from some of the evolutions early early in the development was just to keep cranking that pressure. And had people known. And, and I, I don't know if you remember the piping and everything that was oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. top of the V12. If people had known how much pressure was in there, nobody would have even been in the garage. Because <laughs> if anything had popped, it was taking everybody's heads off. Half. Yes. Yeah. And it was incredible. It was like an army when they would start the car in the morning. They would come and it would take two hours. What, was it two hours, the process of warming up the engine was, and the yeah. gearbox and all the oil? Um, they had to warm up the fuel. Because everything would smoke. It smoke and the pressure that was in the system was incredible. So it was like an army just starting the car. Um, It was phenomenal. And that's one of the things that I love about this program is it's not as if you're Team Penske, Chevy, or Dale Coyne Racing with Vassar Sullivan Honda. It's not like these aren't highly technical machines with very amazing engines. There's also just a sense of climbing in and driving. And it was just a lot of new technologies too. Like you were very precursors, you know, just like like you're getting in a spaceship and you've got you know mission control around you, preparing you for this. This isn't a simple I hit the starter and off I go. It was you you guys are coming in at three to get us ready for the noon session, right? Just amazing. Yeah. No, and, and especially in the early days it was like there were so many things which you know was back to basics back to square one like I've, having to learn a new technology develop something and I'm sure Audi went through the exact same thing and Bosch kind of you know I'm sure went through the ev- even worse at the very beginning because like they delivered a, a, a product that had to be adapted to the Peugeot in some, to some respect and Peugeot had to figure out how to make the technology work but Bosch had already weeded out a lot of things with Audi prior to what we went through which was already felt like super experimental so I can only imagine what they went through because like stuff we saw was like well that's different so what about aero updates that was a comment that you had made as well Simon about it seemed like every year not only were there aero updates I mean engine as well Seb spoke to some of the engine stuff when we sat down uh, for part one but that's another thing that I love about the 908, also the various Audis, but this is an era where, unlike today, for the most part, if you have an idea, it can be on a car very soon. There's no, it's a homologated vehicle, stand back. What was it like having something where you're always being asked to test, try, think, innovate? Yeah, I remember the test uh, test session in uh, Le Mans. Uh, again, I'm still talking about 2000, 
10, yeah. Because um, I remember we had a new front splitter or something like that. But, um, <clears throat> and the car was super fast on the straightaway. <clears throat> year before that, it was my first year at Peugeot. But I was a reserve driver, so, but I didn't want to be a reserve driver. So what that happened is, is incredible when things are supposed to work out. I just wanted to drive. I didn't want to be just a reserve driver. And they, Peugeot had a deal with uh, Pescarlo to run a, a 908 of the year before yep. in Le Mans. Um, and they, they basically ran, Pescaro ran a 908, and I was able to drive that car. So I had all the, um, the 2000, in 2009, they had all the new bits and pieces of the aerodynamic on their car and, and on the engine. And I had the older version of the, the car, which was already really awesome to drive. But you could see on the straightaway, difference in speed and you could see in the corner the difference in the front arrow on the car and it was just incredible to see and then when I got to drive the new car but the, the actual version of the car it was just even easier to go faster um, and that was so cool because it was the exact same car just evolutions um, and that to me was um, again another shock just reminding me how important downforce can be on the car and what efficient downforce is it's pretty incredible the other thing about downforce and updates is you know you would lift at the end of a straightaway with a diesel the car wouldn't slow down you remember that it would not slow down barely any engine braking yeah so saving saving fuel on that car was very easy and yeah. super efficient no and drag, to no the engine point, braking. To the point where in 2009, when, when they fixed the positions at 4.30 in the morning or something like that, because Audi finally had another issue and it was going to be a, a 1, 2, 3 Peugeot no matter what. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they fixed the positions, which was heartbreaking for me because we, I think we almost had a lap uh, lead when I got in the car and one of the uprights uh, broke and I crawled back to the pits made it we're still leading <laughs> when wow. I made it to the pits and they changed the whole left rear corner I think it was and we lost you know three laps which was nine some minutes you know and in six hours of racing we were 45 seconds back to the lead again mm. and at that point they fixed the positions and that's how I never won them all and you know for me that will remain the biggest heartbreaking experience of my life because you know I remember just having the conversation with Serge and it's just like you know basically you're you know you telling me asking me you know to wish bad luck to the sister car because that's all that can buy us the win now and you know obviously you don't you don't wish that for the team you don't wish that for anyone but yeah it was just terrible but back to the point at that point i started to run you know i didn't say anything to anyone but like you were we're kind of coding with my engineer you a little bit on the fuel game yeah. didn't and, you and then <laughs> because because we, we had a hard deck as far as lap time because yeah. that's Alex was the only guy that was really fast in that car at that point. And I was always in the same rotation as Alex pretty much. But Mark, after his shunt, was pretty shaken up. Yeah, yeah. And David had a really hard time with the car. I've never seen David struggle in any car, but that car, he really struggled. And they were both like three, four, five seconds off sometimes. And, and so we were just, that's how we were, you know, killing them. 
And so at some point, like starting to do the math, and, and we're pretty close to save a lap, but it's going to require like a 16-lap stint, which was like three Insane. laps, three laps of fuel saving at Le Mans. You know, three laps is a lot. But because they were asking us to go so slow and our car was so good and we were so fast, doing the, the lap time deck, I'm, I was doing it. And then, sure enough, like two laps before the pit stop, they're like, yeah, we see what you're doing. <laughs> Come pit now. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my last hope of winning at Le Mans, but it didn't work. wasn't your last hope. Well, yeah. I'm an old fart, 40 years old now. I don't know if I'll ever get a, a works it's not over car. yet. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe not. Hey, it was 2011. was your other hope yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sti I still, that one I, still haunts I, me. still could have killed the weatherman. You know, but, yeah. Well, it was more the puncture that got us, right? In the morning? I mean, it's, uh, you can rewrite the story a hundred different ways, but basically, I lost a minute over two stints to the Audi... Um, because it started drizzling and I was on the medium which would have been fine had it been sunny like it was supposed to be and just before getting I was like obviously we're the Meteo France guy and we like you know just give us an update there was always that drizzle chance and this and that and like dude if it's gonna rain even a little bit I need to know because if it doesn't I put the medium if it's gonna drizzle I need the soft and 20 minutes in my stand like it started drizzling and we like the medium just shut down and I was like yeah but that's not really what petrified. cost us the race that was well the it, it, we it is because like a minute like if we don't lose that minute we, we win the race by you know 45 seconds so yeah that one still but Simon you know then put on the soft and drove his balls off and, and almost won the race except you know there was there was a faster was car awesome. against us that was the one year where on they pace the Audi were too. superior and and the faster car one except i mean they, they got so incredibly lucky that you're if you look at the the audi documentary yeah like running as long as they did on that and punctured puncture, slow yeah. punctured tire and not blowing up at le mans is just i mean it's another statement to michelin really because yeah no other tire like survives that it just and it, they did they five stint on that set too yeah, it's just like which is unseen <laughs> anyways yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Did you know I actually threw up in the car that day? You threw up in the car? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. I don't think I ever told anyone that story. <laughs> We're closing the podcast with a vomit story. He's almost died from eating. We've killed a cat. Tell yeah. us about throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. Well, so they woke me up like, um, so I go to bed. You know how much I love my sleep. And um, Yeah, we, we had, uh, we it, was, it was a tough year this year. We ended up running almost the entire race, Simon and I, and it was just, it was not yeah. easy. Like. So they woke me up like aggressively. You got to get in the car. You got to get in the car. Yeah, in French, too. which is very aggressive. <laughs> yeah, because it was a French team. We spoke French. Well, yeah, it was incredible. And uh, so I woke up and I'm like, I don't know where I'm at. What time is this? Is morning? You know when the safety car was out? Because it was, like it was after Rocky's crash, I think. 3 or 4 a.m., yeah. I'd been in the car getting intoxicated by the other version of the 908. The... 2010 version that had been rebalanced and we were 
you know, going slow speeds, cold engines, and that thing was because yep. of it smoking like crazy. Well, and maybe I spent that's what two hours me. behind that car on the safety car, and I was sick. Like I, I was just like so I didn't throw green. up. Oh, maybe that's but, what happened but to I, me. But I was. Well, like, I don't know. But I got in the car, and I mean, man, you, they, I, they threw me in the car. I, I got in. I got another little thing after that. But I got in, and I leave pit lane. Almost spun uh, in the ten lap because I wasn't awake, and the tires were cold. I almost spun, and <laughs> God brought it back straight. I was like, wow, okay, Whoa, I'm awake now. And then we're running on the safety car, and, and all of a sudden, it came out. It came out, man. I mean, that oh. was before the enlargement of the esophagus. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, it was before. <laughs> it was before. Yeah, it was like, that never happened. I don't know what happened. So, I don't want to be gross here, but... Well, I mean, I don't know in what your I, helmet, down your yeah, suit, down, yeah, on the just, steering just wheel. Down. It wasn't bad, because nobody noticed. Um, well, I mean, when we, you know, you just get out of the car, go back to the motorhome, and you're good. But, uh, yeah, just down. Down. That must have smelled awesome. I don't remember that, you know. When you go to drive, you drive. But, uh, you know, what's cool, too, is last uh, my last stint in, uh, in Le Mans that year. So, for me, it's one of my best memories in racing, that, that race. Because, you know, you're down to the wire, it's Le Mans. We may have lost it by 13 seconds, but it was an awesome fight. And... I always remember getting in the car, Seb tapped me like that when I got, you know, he tapped me in my yeah. back, which we don't usually do because you try to do the best pit stop you can. It was like a big brother telling me, okay, now it's up to you, buddy. Wow. You know, it was really cool. So uh, I always remember that moment. That's pretty cool. Let's close on that. I mean, Seb, obviously, I don't need to mention all the things you've done, all the success you've had. Simon, obviously, championships and all kinds of great stuff. You two, great careers now. It wasn't that long ago that we had the Peugeot program, but where does this sit within everything you've done, either from a meaning standpoint, an appreciation? Ah, for me, it's, I mean, it's a um, pivotal moment of my career. You know, it's probably, obviously, I learned a ton with Gilles Deferrand because we used to go to dinner and he would tell me all this technical stuff. But, you know, I... In their prime, like Seb's prime, Frank's prime, I managed to be there and actually learn from them and polish myself after I learned everything from Gilles. It was incredible. It was a time of my life where I was like a sponge learning so much from everybody and it really made me who I am today in the race car. Um, and I also defined myself with confidence into what I like. Um, and when you share the car like that, you don't change setup often. If if it's not fast, you know it's you, so you got to work on it. Uh, and mm. you don't have setup changes to help yourself. So that was a great time. The testing, the experience, the outside of the track was fun too. Uh, for me, it was certainly, um, I think, one of the best times in my career. Yeah, wow. really. But you said. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got... Uh, yeah, I only have great memories, honestly, with with Peugeot as as a team, um, driving the car and everything. There's uh, uh, obviously a few heartbreaks uh, because you know 2007 was the most improbable and unexpected second place ever. Uh, 
had we you know never completed 24-hour simulation or anything like that and you, there you go you finish second you know that first year of the program and that was like everybody felt like a win and then 9 and 11 were the most devastating uh, narrow misses ever for me um, but uh, yeah I mean I, I I've very very much enjoyed my time with those guys they were all you know family and great friends and and uh, yeah I you you never know what the future is made of but it, it was very special time with a very special group with a very special car uh, probably never made that little money ever but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very really? little but, it was very uh, little really? money yeah. but uh, yeah no, I, all, think I, made, all, I made less than he did by all the, the money all the money was in the car and yeah. uh, and there was saying. just not that that mentality of paying the guys very much no. but it, really? it was still just I made a lot less memory. than you did man and I was super happy it was <laughs> it was my brain my main program dude I mean, it was like first of all I was not getting paid very much then I was living in France paying taxes in France which you know what that means like you get Kill, like <laughs> literally killed. Like I was paying sixty-six percent of taxes. No, you know, so, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But how I can you... I can tell you? I was making three hundred thousand euros. I was left with a hundred. I've never made that little money in racing ever. Not good. even in two thousand three, my good. first professional very low year. costs, not very effective. I'm... See. He's a horrible <laughs> negotiator, apparently. But how do you pay Sebastian Bourdais, driver of the French national team, that little 